We have made it through the acclimation days, and we prepare for preseason game one. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. You are locked on Ole Miss, your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Willis. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available whenever you get your podcast. Let's jump right in. This week, we are preparing for the first scrimmage. It's going to be an open scrimmage, but it's going to be a scrimmage just the same. Now, the important thing to know about that, you can go. It's open to the public. But it's going to be preseason game one. And there there are three things that need to happen over the next two weeks. That for these next two weeks, these are the next two most important weeks out of the whole football season. And we will tell you what those are as well. So anyway, thank you. Very much for this past weekend. This weekend, this past weekend has been phenomenal. Um, Video Friday was phenomenal. All the stuff that's come through, all the socials, we're hearing from you. We're doing the, trying to do as good a job as we can do. So thank you very much for that. Anyway, number one, quarterback play consistency. The next two weeks are going to play the most pivotal role in the quarterback competition. Whoever is probably in front And if he takes the bull by the horns in the next two weeks, he will emerge as the starting quarterback. That's just the way it's going to happen. Now that full pads can get there, pass rush can happen, team periods can evolve to be exactly what they need to be, intensity can rise. Ole Miss is back there playing a drop eight, so these guys see that in practice quite a bit. So the passing aspect of this offense is going to be more difficult. And they're going to miss, like, Matt Corral and the things that he brought to the team last year. There's no question about that. But Jackson Dart and Luke Altmaier have steps that they can make. And remember, this is an open competition. This is how it absolutely is going to be the case. And also, you see fans all the time, and some writers talk about Kincaid Dent, and I'm sure he's a nice kid. I'm sure he's a really nice kid. But every time the question is asked to the coach, the coach answers on Jackson Dart and Luke Altmaier. Doesn't mention Kincaid Den at all. They had to be probed and asked specifically about Kincaid Dent to answer a question about him. So in our quarterback competition, we're not going to talk about Kincaid. I understand that some people want to hear about Kincaid. We're not really going to talk about Kincaid. It's nothing personal against the kid. It's just the podcast is only 30 minutes long a day. So Jackson Dart and Luke Altmaier, Whichever one comes out the next two weeks at the top of the list probably has a real good chance to take that first snap against Troy. Because the next two weeks, and I do not know the exact days when it happens, but it's about going to line up how it's going to happen. You're going to have two weeks of practice to where camp can actually be camp. And going through trying to get this job. After that two weeks, school starts. You get into your game week type schedule. You're getting ready for Troy. Your game planning. In a perfect world, 
probably the Thursday before Troy, they would go public with a quarterback if one wins the competition. I don't know if one is going to win the competition, but we'll have to see how that goes. Now, remember, if people want to historically combine this, Blake Sims um, won the job. He was named in week one. Jacob Coker was named in week one. Um, they put another quarterback in against Ole Miss. They lost the game, went back to Coker. Alabama won the national championship. Jalen Hurts won the job before the first game. So that's Lane Kiffin's history at Alabama. Now, at FAU, I think, um, I don't know his exact name. It's something Driscoll. I think it's Jeff, maybe. I don't know, but there was two Driscolls, and one went to Florida and one went to FAU. So the little brother, not the one that went to Florida, won the job. Good year. He was a John Rice Plumley type quarterback. Very good stuff. If you want to know that this offense can look exactly like Arkansas's, there you go. Go back and watch the 2017 FAU team. They had a kind of a cluster in 2018 at quarterback. And I think they were talking about forcing a quarterback decision too early, and that happened in 2018. 2019, Bobby Robeson um, won the job. At Oklahoma transfer, they won the conference title. So in out of five years between FAU and Ole Miss, he's got three 10-win seasons. Pretty good. Pretty good as a football coach, honestly. So, But the next two weeks is going to be a big point because the most data points are here, either whether in the classroom or on the practice field. 17 different ways that you can impress the coaching staff. The next two weeks, is there's the most of them available. So this quarterback competition at the end of two weeks, this next two weeks, probably is going to be the starter for the Troy game. Now, even if they know who that starter is going to be, they're not going to tell us. They're not going to tell Troy. That's why. But if everything goes clear cut, that two-week period is probably the first time that internally within the football complex they could be thinking about a starting quarterback. Now, if they play two against Troy, do not freak out. Don't. Because... Honestly, it's a sign they're close, not necessarily either one's better than the other. There was just not a clear-cut winner. Now, coaches are notoriously slow decision-makers. They only make decisions when they have to, and when they do, it's so slow. They need hours upon hours upon hours of film coming through so they can drill every possible situation, so they can feel as good as possible about whatever decision they need to make. An example of that is the 2020 defense. We saw at the end of last year, Ole Miss was a good defensive team. A lot of those same guys were here in 2020. The beginning of 2020 was the worst defense I have literally ever seen. Alabama played Ole Miss and gained as many yards as they could gain, minus seven. Seven yards from their maximum amount that they could gain, they gained. And this is why that happened. Coaches are such slow decision makers. They rely on hours and hours and hours of film. And when that happens, you can get an idea of who needs to play where. 2020, there was no spring for DJ Durkin. Fall camp was severely cut down. 
And whenever you look at what's going, there's not as much film out there. So the result was the wrong players were playing at the beginning of the season to do what he wanted to do. And that allowed um, the other teams, the wrong players playing, the defense to not need, be where it needs to be. That Everything new coming in. It just was a train wreck. And as the season went on and the film caught up to where it needed to be, you noticed different players playing. You noticed that the defense was getting better. And against Indiana, that was a decent unit. And it was because of that lack of film that was really apparent for everyone involved. So I do want to tell you about LinkedIn. As you gear for fall, you need to you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. That's like 10% of the world's population is on LinkedIn. Seriously, that's a lot of people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. It's got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visited LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. You can see down there in the corner for the address to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, um, including iTunes and Spotify. Please leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say. Just make sure the review is five stars. That'll help others find the show in the future um, if they want to. Even if you don't like it, the five-star review will help the algorithm and get the show up on the thing and might help somebody that will like it. So we do appreciate it. Thank you very much for that. So in the first segment, we talked a lot about the quarterback competition and how it is imperative the next two weeks go well for each of the candidates. Because the next two weeks is probably going to tell the tale. This is the most important two weeks of the season right now. And the first preseason game, as we mentioned, is Saturday. It's open to the public if you want to go. It's in Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. It's approximately at 11.30. If you want to go put your eyes on it, it is going to be there for you to do it. So, whenever you look at that, that is the story of camp. The quarterback competition is number one. We're going to, we're going to dig into it all different ways. We're going to find opinions and personalities um, and context and everything we can to figure out clues and solve the case of the missing quarterback at Ole Miss. But there are other stories as well. And there's two other that I'm paying attention to. And now that acclimation days is over, the O-line and D-line play can come into focus. Because, let's be real, 
in acclimation days, the O-line and D-line is like, yeah, you guys look real good and everything. But you can't really tell what's going on because there's you're not going to play the same way. It's not going to happen the same way. And in doing so, the O-line and D-line, you can't really get a read on exactly how good they are. You have guys that it's supposed to be good. Jeremy James is supposed to be a dude moving out to left tackle. Um, Nick Broker moving into left guard. I mean, that side of the line should be in fine. Cale Bourne at center. I've heard rumors of problems at the beginning of spring, but that has gone away. Yeah, you don't hear, really hear about that anymore. Might still be there. We'll see. Um, Eli Acker at right guard. Mason Brooks at right tackle. The offensive line should be good. Defensive line, there's rumors of them being three deep across the front. I want to see how they look going forward. I want to see the newbies like Jared Ivey. I want to see if Cedric Johnson can take that step. We all expect him to take it. I want to see if he can take it. I want to see if J.J. McGee's can adapt and be a solid role as a nose guard and as a possible three technique. I want to see Jamon Gordon, Isaiah Iton. I want to see all of those guys and how they have progressed year over year. And this will be really the first time that we can see that and we'll be able to pay attention to what is going on in the stadium whenever this open scrimmage happens. It's all about putting eyes on it. And you're not really going to be able to answer any questions by seeing the practice in the stadium. The whole purpose of these practices is organized chaos, by the way. So if you're looking at it, if you see it, you don't really know what's going on. Ole Miss practices two fields during camp. You can't focus on that many things at once. There's so much going on at one time. If you try to figure out what's going on, you're just going to be led in a different direction. And that's the reason, even in a spring game, they, they do such a good job of showing stuff without showing stuff. It's honestly quite impressive. But the offensive and defensive line, this is the most important two weeks of the season. We're, a lot of tone setting is going to happen with this one. I want to see a physical physical group. I want to see if Jake Thornton's offensive line can be a phys, physical running group, especially with Zach Evans, Ulysses Bentley, and Quinshawn Judkins. I want to see them really take off. Because this is just real and not making fun of anybody. Until the pads go on, you're going to have workout warriors that can, can kind of stand out. That doesn't mean they're good football players yet. But in, sh in shirts and shorts, they might look like a higher level of player. When the pads go on, you actually get to see who separates who, and especially on the offensive line and defensive line. Third of all, we're talking about the wide receiver pecking order. Everybody needs to find a home. There's some talented guys. We're going to have Mike Aspey and Chris Collins on the show on Wednesday. And they are going to talk potentially about the number one unit on this team being the wide receiver unit. They really like Malik Keith. That's obvious. Braylon Brown's a dude. That's my pick to click this year. Um, Jonathan Mingo's a dude. They've moved Jalen Knox out there. I've heard um, rumors that they're thinking about moving Jordan Watkins. All of this is happening. Those outside receivers' pecking order becomes increasingly important. The inside guys, 
that shows you that Jalen Robinson and J.J. Henry, they're being dudes right now. They're making plays. Those outside receivers, it's a thankless job in this offense. Yeah, I know it's completely counterproductive to think about it, but it's almost close to a wishbone wide receiver in this offense because all of the conflict players are inside the hashes. So RPOs are going to be run off them. So the outside guys, you go down a block, boom, boom, boom. And they're, going, they're trying to go as fast as possible and everything that means that they can't really probe the defense deep except for every every so often. But 10% of the plays of the game are what I like to call Lane Kiffin shot plays. And players like Jordan Watkins, players like Jalen Knox, Braylon Brown, Malik Heath, Jonathan Mingo, that is where those guys make their hay. It's going to be all about that. Anyway, let's tell you about betonline.net. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all of your favorite sports and events at the number one source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top resource for all of your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts that have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, where the game starts. Anyway, we got Marche Green. Has a little bit of an internet issue. Um, we had to edit it from time to time. Hopefully it came out all right. But I wanted to get it on here because Marche had a lot of good things to say for you. So after the break, after this, Marche Green. All right, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. So do us a favor, subscribe to the YouTube channel um, as well. If we get to 2,000 subscribers before the Troy game, we are going to do a live pregame live stream. And if you could do that for me, it'd be great. I am here with Marche Green. We're going to talk about camp. We're going to try and figure out his best camp story. And we're going to talk, if he knows anything about it, if he wants to talk about it, we're going to talk a little bit about the Ole Miss 2022 team. Anyway, Marche, how you doing, bud? Hey, man, I'm doing great, man. Just raising my son, taking it one day at a time, man. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, the weather, is it, it up there where you are? You're on the East Coast. Is it kind of hotter than normal up there? Because down in Florida, it's been fairly mild this summer. It's definitely humid, and it's definitely hot. <laughs> it's, like, really, really hot. <laughs> yeah. uh, I bet it is. Anyway, um. Marche, you played for two head coaches and been through camp back when camp was camp. And also, you kind of saw a little bit of the transition. You went through the Coach O Wars, which sometimes we all remember. Camp was camp was a, a dude under Coach O. Um, what was camp like for you under both coaches? Well, camp under Coach O, like, it really introduced me to the grind of like no matter the elements no matter how hot it is you got to come out here and get better so those first two years being in camp with coach o really prepared me and i would say the team to sustain any type of um camp that was upcoming in the future that would be on the coach nut so those camp 
with Coach O really prepared us to be mentally tough and to really push through. And now the camps with Coach Nutt taught us how to really practice and stay healthy. Um, don't take guys down to the ground. Don't like, you know, come out here to try to hurt somebody. Practice smart, practice fast. And those camps taught us how to get better and better every single day. Yeah. Um, what What is the story that, like, even now sticks out about camp for you? <laughs> One story that sticks out about camp for me was my freshman year. And Coach O was the coach during the time. And I remember the temperature being like 95 degrees. And during the time the practice was being held on the game field. And the game field was so hot that guys' cliques began to melt, literally melt, like melt. And we really had to like take bottles of water and dump on our feet to cool them off. And I remember that was like, probably happened like two weeks straight, man. And like guys was like, I'm talking about was like shocked that like, you know, their cliques was melting. So yeah, that's the story right there. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, Marche, let's talk about, um, do you know much about the 2022 team? Anything about the current state of Rebels? What I do know is that we have a lot of guys that have played college ball before that came to the school from the transfer portal. And I think from that itself, the team should be better. Um, the team should be better with Coach Kiffin having another year to go on his belt. Um, I'm just expecting a maybe a two-loss season this year, man. Okay. Okay. And what do you, real quick, because um, you played professional ball, all of this, you were on that 2008 defense that was so dominant. Now, this drop eight coverage that is now becoming in vogue in college football, where there's basically four safeties, there's two corners, and it's just drop eight zone. What, what do you think about that? You better have some D tackles that can control the line of scrimmage. You better have some guys up front that can really be a double team. I'm not too much a fan of that drop eight. I really like to get out the people. So I'm not too big on it. But if Coach Kiffin thinks that's the best defense to run, then hey, go for it. But you really need some guys up front that can really dominate the line of scrimmage in order for that co coverage or playing style to be successful. Yeah, because we saw against Alabama last year, I call it murder ball, and it was just basically handed off to the running back and let him get five yards a pop every time, and they do that all the way down the field. So I, I, under, I understand where you're coming from there. Definitely, exactly. <laughs> you got to be able to have some guys that can kind of like, you know, beat the double team and win on first downs. If they decide to run the ball, you have to win on first down to put the defense, I mean, uh, to put the offense in a pass 90 to 95% situation. My theory, and I have nothing to back this up, is all the drop eight, they used that to great success last year. By the end of the year, they were pretty good defense. But I think that was just the install, and they're going to start like branching off of it a little bit this year. So you might see some four-man. 
I mean, with J.J. Pegues, we actually have a three technique on this team for the first time in three years. Um, so it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what they do defensively. Yeah, man. Um, I think you can get away running that defense versus, like, you know, teams that are not very good. But if you're playing against teams like Bama, Texas A&M, you're really going to have to change some things up and not run their defense as much. Okay. And I'm going to ask you some questions that might be a little bit redundant because we've talked before. But on um, this, I'm here. Can you hear me? You got me? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to ask you some questions yes, that sir. are going to be a little bit um, redundant because we've talked before, but this is a yeah, new man, platform. Okay. So, what was more enjoyable for you, playing corner or playing wide receiver? Well, playing running back was more enjoyable. <laughs> I never played corner. I never played wide receiver in high school. I was always a running back. And Coach Cutcliffe recruited me to play running back. And Coach Ogeron continued to recruit me to play running back. But if I had to choose out a corner and wide receiver, I definitely would say corner. From my competitive standpoint, I love taking one single guy out of the game. That's my favorite part of playing corner, opposed to playing the wide receiver position. I have to wait to have my to have an effective impact on the game. A lot of people got to do their part, opposed to playing corner. I got this guy. So okay. Okay. corner was much more enjoyable. And this is going to be a weird question. It might be something only I'm interested in. But that 2007 um, Mississippi State game, I guess maybe Hugh Freeze called the plays that day. That was at the end of the year. That was Coach O's last game. But they did this empty set with Brent Schaefer at quarterback. And you and Dex played on the slot. And y'all would kind of go back and forth. And it was kind of a neat little package, but we only saw it once. Can you talk about that a little bit? Do you remember anything about that? I can't remember. I think Coach Freeze was calling the plays. And I think that's something that, that they installed that last week to try to try something different, to like try to get me and Dex on the edge, sweet plays, screen plays. But I really would have liked to see how that went if if we could have started the following season running those sets. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it was a cool thing. And I think people are going to remember that game because of Ben Jarvis on the fourth and one and I think the Derek Pegues punt return that caused all of that to get in there. But you guys played an interesting game that day in the game plan of that. And that kind of <laughs> – I mean – Ken Austin and Nutt came in, and it was a completely different style of football the next year. But you could you could see a little bit that game that spread offense might work. Yeah, man. Um, I just think the team was so young because we had a lot of freshmen starting. My freshman year, my sophomore year, the guys were still young. And so I think that season we was really getting a fully understanding of how to play SEC football. And so from Dexter to Shea Hodge 
to my wallets, to myself, and the following season having a new quarterback coming in. I just think the team was just fully understanding how to play SEC football. Okay. And um, just the, uh, you might not know exactly what happened or anything like that, but I do have a question about the 2009 team. That – that team came in with a lot of expectations mm-hmm. and everything. But for some reason, at the beginning of the year, Brandon Bolden was getting most of the carries, and Dex was kind of, they were protecting him a little bit. Were they consciously trying to just take hits off of him, or were they really trying to make Brandon the guy at running back in 2009? In, in my personal opinion, I think Coach Nutt was um, trying to get his young guys involved and that was kind of taking away Dexter's impact. I truly think if our t- team start the season out pumping Dexter the ball, I like I really think the team would do better than the combo. Even though the combo was great, I really think our team should have and could have finished in the top ten or top five. Um, I, like, I, and I think the team was ranked top five. And that game, we didn't start out giving Dexter the ball until the second half. And if you watch that game, he started to get a lot of chunk yards, started to be successful. But like, I think if the team just would have started pumping Dexter the ball more that year. I think the team would have been a lot more successful on offense. Yeah, and talk about that game real quick, that South Carolina game. What was that atmosphere like in the stadium that night? It looked nuts on TV. Man, listen, man, I played in a lot of stadiums. Man, I played in the Swamp. I played in Death Valley. I played in Alabama. I played in the Combo. That stadium that night was the loudest stadium I played in in my entire four years playing in the SEC. The stadium was crazy. The fans was crazy. That was like the best atmosphere the best atmosphere that I played in my entire time playing in college. Um I think we could have won that game and should have won that game. And part of the reason why we didn't is I blame it on myself because I got tripped up on a punt return that I should have scored on. And I think that changed the whole momentum of the game if I'm able to not get tripped up by the punter and score. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it was absolutely interesting. And is there any other places that you played in in college football that's called an <coughs> underrated atmosphere? Uh, underrated atmosphere. Let me see. Uh, I would say um, yes. One of the most underrated atmospheres that I played in was, <coughs> I want to say it was Kentucky. Okay. Playing in Louisville. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky. We played against those guys my freshman year, and the place was rocking, man. So I think that's one of the most underrated places to play. Believe it or not, I was there that night. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It. The, Kentucky's done a good job <coughs> with their football program, and it kind of started about that time. That Rich Brooks team on to – what there is, they've kind of grown that. 
Um, anyway, Marche, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I know we had a little bit of connection issues. We'll try and fix that in post a little bit. But thank you very much for joining us, man. 